Good morning, everyone. And warm welcome to everyone from wherever you are or wherever you're tuning in or Zooming in. Uh, just a couple of announcements. Next week, we will be closed for the intensive from Monday through Sunday. However, you are all invited to the head student completion ceremony Sunday afternoon at 2.30. So the Zoom link is on the calendar. Uh, Joan Harmon will be completing her extended and strange uh, practice period as head student. Um, <clears throat> so councils will not meet next week and there will be no Wednesday evening program, but Flint will still offer inquiry Tuesday at 12.30. I will not be doing practice discussion on Friday. So regular programming will continue the following Monday, June 29th. <clears throat> okay, today I wanted to talk about fatigue. So the Buddha taught that there are five main hindrances on our spiritual journey. Sense desires, anger and ill will, sloth and torpor, restlessness and worry, and doubt. Among these five hindrances, I find sloth and torpor the most distressing and the most challenging to work with. So I'm going to give this hindrance another name, fatigue. I find sense desires arise and pass away through sustained attention and letting go. Anger and ill will do not trouble me as much as they once did, and they are observed arising and passing away. I'm no longer really troubled by these appearances. But when fatigue appears, it seems to drag everything to a halt. My view becomes dull and cloudy. I lose connection with my good intentions. I struggle to make the least effort at almost anything. I become more careless in my thoughts, in my speech, and in my actions. There's a general heaviness and a kind of mulish, stubborn resistance that creates a negative spiral of inaction, self-judgment, and a kind of giving up that is not at all the same as enlightened letting go. So I'm hearing, um, from numbers of people who are having the, these experiences. In the grip of fatigue, I do not want to hear about the world's upsets or other people's troubles. I don't want to do the things that I know are nourishing for my body and mind. I don't want to read something inspirational or hear about touching and lovely things others are doing. A great weight sits on me in a kind of fog of uncaring. It is the opposite of apamata. If you are on this path, you will surely encounter moments, days, even whole months, if you are unlucky, of this hindrance. I'm sure you recognize its effects. And it's interesting that we have a good sense of how to practice with the hindrance of worry and agitation. The 16 steps of the Anapanasuti Sutta are a good resource. So is a long walk in nature or taking some action from our vow. We have a good sense of how to practice with anger and ill will. Any of the many compassion practices, such as metta practice, the Brahma-viharas, Tonglen and Lojong from the Tibetan tradition. We understand that doubt can be met with deeper study and inquiry, practice discussion with a teacher or a spiritual friend. Sense desires are numerous in our self-indulgent society, but there are numerous mindfulness practices for calming those as well. And in the Tibetan tradition, as well as in our own Zen tradition, each of these is seen as a Dharma gate for deeper discovery, 
rather than something to get rid of. We may think of hindrances as something to heroically overcome or to melt away and get rid of through our concentrated practice. If we view them as a doorway to understanding how we go about constructing a self, they can themselves be the catalyst for awakening. But fatigue, that heaviness and unwillingness. In his marvelous little book on the hindrances, Gil Fronsdale gives this description. Sloth and torpor are forces in the mind that drain vitality and limit effort. Sloth manifests as a physical absence of vitality. The body may feel heavy, lethargic, weary, or weak. Torpor is a lack of mental energy. The mind may be dull, cloudy, or weary, easily drifting in thought. Being caught in sloth or torpor can resemble slogging through deep mud. When this hindrance is strong, there's not even enough mindfulness to know we've fallen into it. This is not the same as tiredness, he says. Tiredness refers to a natural physiological condition of sleepiness or fatigue. Sloth and torpor refers to low energy states related to an attitude we have. Discouragement, frustration, boredom, indifference, giving up, hopelessness, and resistance are some of the psychological causes of sloth and torpor. But this hindrance can also arise when we are comfortable and complacent, when meditation feels easy and pleasurable. With the warm, fuzzy feeling that everything is okay, the mind can even drift off to sleep. This is perhaps part of the reason we feel so distressed by the current social upheavals that demand our attention. They are waking us out of our comfortable slumber. What can we do? First know, as Gill says, that the presence of sloth and torpor does not mean energy is not available. It simply means we are not accessing it. The very first step is to recognize it for what it is. Ugh. The hindrance of sloth and torpor, or as I prefer to think of it, fatigue. Yes, that's it all right. I don't want to watch another brutal news story, think about global warming, be crushed by dread, feel my aloneness in the middle of this surreal life, or sit in meditation where all these things return and haunt me. I don't want to, is the mantra of sloth and torpor. So first we recognize it for what it is. <clears throat> ah, sloth and torpor. Well, as long as we're here and it doesn't seem to be going anywhere, we can study its contours idly. We gaze upon it without struggle or ambition, but idle curiosity. What is happening in my body? A leaden heaviness in my chest, a longing to lie down, a kind of stuckness and feeling of stopping. How does your posture reflect it? What happens when you make some change in your posture, stretch or go out for a walk? What happens when you simply bow? What is the feeling tone? Is it pleasant, a kind of pleasant slowing down from busyness? Or an unpleasant sense of heaviness and separation? Or a neutral spacing out? What stories and emotions are associated with these sensations? What do I tell myself about this experience? And what do I think it means about me? This is where things get really interesting. Sometimes this hindrance arises 
when our meditation deepens and we begin to surface disturbing issues that become uncomfortable. Sometimes it's a sign that a part of us, long exiled, is coming forward with its troubles. This is actually a hopeful sign, as that part believes that freedom from its burdens is possible. But other parts want to shut this process down out of fear of the exiled part. Gill says it is best to be respectful of this kind of falling asleep in meditation. Often something inside us knows we are not quite ready to face a challenge. He points out that weariness can be closely entwined with sloth and torpor. Chronic excitement and tension, especially when expressed through muscular tension, can leave a person deeply exhausted. Incessant activity expends tremendous amounts of energy, leaving people drained. Because overactivity or busyness masks weariness, people may not realize how deeply fatigued they are until they sit in meditation or go on a meditation retreat. Those of us on this practice path should know about the kind of sloth and torpor particular to meditation, due, as Gill points out, to an imbalance between effort and relaxation. So many people associate meditation with getting calm, and therefore overemphasize the calming side of meditation. This then leads to what is called sinking mind, a state of mental dullness, often reinforced by comfortable complacency. To counter this, it is important to know that meditation is not only about becoming calm and relaxed, but about becoming calm with alertness, healthy engagement, and clarity. So we attend to this phenomenon arising in our awareness with curiosity and stillness. What is this? The foot dragging, the resistance, the heaviness, the unwillingness. Some part of me is trying to help me this way. How is this helping? What possible benefit can there be from this experience? We can investigate without too much effort, especially in the beginning. Maybe we just write a description of what we notice about it. We can wonder, why this? Why now? Then rest. That's enough. Don't get too ambitious or energetic about it. Open a space for it just to be its own self. The dullness. Friendly curiosity is again the universal solvent. We may feel, oh geez, I don't even have enough energy or care enough to be curious. I just want to lie down and I want everything to stop. I want the email to stop, the Twitter and Instagram to stop, the worry about climate change, racist systems and institutions, bad government, my aging body, the pandemic, the well-being of those I care about, the anxiety about money, about the future of the planet, all of it, just stop. My head hurts, my heart hurts, my body is filled with longing. Worse, everyone I know is going through the same tangle of cares, and we can't even hug each other. It's okay. This is what meditation is for. It is a small clearing in the middle of the terrifying jungle and the exhausting trek. A space by a cool stream we can slip into and be refreshed. It is a place to restore our clarity and to reconnect with our deepest wisdom and compassion. And most of all, to rest. That rest is not a giving up, but a kind of nourishment for the journey ahead, the work we must do with ourselves, in our relationships, 
and in the world. <clears throat> of course we are tired. We are being bombarded daily from every direction. But here we are, coming into stillness and silence together, <clears throat> feeling the spaciousness and quiet that can nourish and sustain us. Our vow then becomes not a burden, but a source of energy to meet whatever we encounter. But first, unburden yourself of all that grief and longing for the world, for the, multi for the interlude of meditation, a welcome break in the ongoing incessant activity of care for the world, for yourself, and for all beings. Gill points out if a state of sloth and torpor has continued for a long time, and it always feels like a long time, it can be useful to ask yourself some questions. This could be, if I weren't feeling so sleepy or dull, what would I be experiencing? This might reveal that you are using sloth and torpor to avoid something. Or you can ask yourself, what do I really want now? This may reveal a frustrated desire that is draining your energy. Or you can look into your relationship to the sloth and torpor. What is your attitude toward them? Aversion to sloth and torpor can reinforce them. He writes, Investigating this hindrance can also include understanding how particular thoughts, beliefs, and evaluations feed it. When this is understood, it is possible to change one's thinking to thoughts that are aroused more energy. A traditional Buddhist approach is to reflect on death and dying. Done the right way, this can stimulate health, healthy energy and motivation, <clears throat> freeing the mind from preoccupation with insignificant concerns. Notice, too, when you feel more energized, and what f brings that energy, physical activity, shift in emotion states, what or who you are paying attention to. I can feel a surge of energy in doing FaceTime with my little granddaughter, so energetic, or connecting with Sangha members before our morning walk. I'm always happy talking with my sister or meeting with Sangha members for practice discussion. We encourage others and we encourage ourselves at the same time. Often, just taking action dispels sloth and torpor. You can begin with the smallest action you can manage. Take out a piece of paper and write a short note of appreciation to someone, for example. Make a small contribution to a cause you care about. Take a walk outdoors. Read about something that interests you. Write a journal entry simply describing what you are experiencing right now in the moment of writing. If you are feeling resistance to meditation, sit down for one minute, take some mindful breaths, then get up. Most importantly, following any action step check in to see how you are responding to it. In this way, we discover how to manage ourselves, even in this low energy state. When I consider the enormous problems we are facing together in our world and the sheer cruelty of some people in it, and the extreme limitations of being just one person, one aging female body, sometimes I feel a great heaviness and desolation, as I'm sure you do. We are in the middle of a great transformation and keenly aware of our own inadequacies. There's a terrible disruption to our familiar ways of being and doing. 
This is teaching us that the work of building the world we want to live in was never a solitary enterprise, never about feathering our own nest. We can only do this together. When I'm tired, you are energizing, and I am held and supported by that so that when I, I rally, I can energize and support you. We hearten and inspire each other, and we console and comfort each other in our grief and despair. And this, in turn, creates, through our care, the causes and conditions for a world worth living in, a world of wisdom and compassion. <clears throat> our practice is our training and preparation for this work we do together. So I think a distinction for me between practice and training is this. Practice is something we do because we want to, because we, we see some benefit in doing this practice. But training is something we do whether we want to or not because we know that that's the path, not because we're trying to attain some goal. It's okay to get tired, to grow weary at times, to feel a great unwillingness steal our energy for a while, but it is never okay to give up. Steadfast, we keep putting one foot in front of another. We sit down in Zazen one more time. We see the teacher or talk with a spiritual friend openly about our struggles and our challenges. Ultimately, it is precisely this stubborn refusal to give up that prevails in the face of our own boredom and indifference and in the teeth of our terror for the world. We enter nirvana together with all beings. Don't imagine you are the only one who is dragged by this hindrance. Everyone without exception, including your teachers, must deal with it from time to time. It is not terminal, either for you or for your spiritual path. It is a handicap and a drag for sure, but we can learn and grow from it. And when we do, we will be a great resource for others when they too are slogging through it. Our intimacy with it and our recognition that this too is constantly changing, that it arises, stays a while, and then dissipates, will give us strength to support and hearten others. So do not be discouraged when you are experiencing this hindrance. It is further training on the bodhisattva path. Pay close attention to everything arising. And as the Tibetans say, leave the arising in the arising. Go for refuge to the vast sky-like mind of Buddha, the unconditional grandmotherly heart of the Buddha, the deep wisdom that is who you truly are, and the spiritual friendships of the Sangha. Rest there. So I would like to have some time for breakout rooms, maybe um, until I would say 10.30. Um, and we, I'm not sure how many people, we have 21 people, so groups of three. And what I'd like you to do is please discuss whether you have encountered this hindrance and what you've learned in meeting it. Okay, so I think, uh,
Okay, I'm not going to keep you much longer because I know it's Father's Day and you have Father's Day activities and events, right? Um, but I, um, I just wanted to find out if there was anything that anyone wants to share coming out of that, uh, that little meeting. If anybody has trouble unmuting, please let me know, and I I will see what. I can do it from my end. I, everyone is technically unmuted, but. Hi, Kirk. It's wonderful to see you. It's been a long time. <laughs> welcome, welcome. Double unmuting. <clears throat> nice to be back. <laughs> yeah, we've missed you. I missed you too. I was saying I've been, uh, working on my own, but I really feel like I miss a Sangha and a teacher, so I'm trying yet again to get back. <laughs> well, we have this strange situation in which we're doing this all virtually, so even people who are far can be near, and even people who are near are far. <laughs> That's the way we are. <laughs> but I'm so glad to see you. Yeah. And everyone who's, you know, from everywhere, I'm just so delighted that by this platform we can include more people who are not able to be right with us, you know, in the Zendo. So I hope it gives you a little bit of a taste of seeing it behind me. You know? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And, and yesterday the crews came and did a whole bunch of trimming and beautified everything here. So it's, it's all trimmed up now and mulch is put down for the summer. And so I'm, I'm, uh, I'm really grateful. Yeah. And thank you all for your support, for your support for Appamata. I know it's not easy in these difficult times and everybody is, uh, you know, struggling in all the various ways that they're struggling with the unfamiliarity of our situation. So I really appreciate your taking time and making the effort to join us and, uh, and also to support us. So, uh, so we'll, um, we'll, well do service. Uh, oh, hold on. Yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say about the breakout room. Um, you know, I, I just wanted to say I really find it helpful. This is a very, I really enjoyed the talk. It was very meaty, and it, it hit me because I think cloth and torpor is probably my primary hindrance in life. Um, so uh, it hit me, and then be able to process it and talk with talk about this topic with others, and it sort of hit hit. Uh, was able to allow me to process it a little bit deeper and kind of get some insights. And so, anyways, I just really appreciated it. Oh, I'm so glad. I think these breakout rooms are a good thing. They give us a chance to connect with some people. Some sometimes people we haven't had a chance to talk with very much. So, yeah, yeah. I'm so glad we were able to do it. So, and um, please do join us next Sunday afternoon if you can for Jones head student ceremony. Uh, I want to remind you, 2.30, uh, the Zoom link will be on the calendar. The, there will not be morning Zazen connection. We'll be on Zoom with the intensive. So, uh, so that'll be a separate password. So thank you so much for joining us. And um, we'll do service now. It's just a short service. So uh, I'll get set up for that.